controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. I, I want you to catch this. Great is this mystery that God was manifest in the flesh. This is the great mystery. The God that has, he's limitless. He's in every place and time and in every time and place. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. He was at the beginning, but he has no beginning. He's at the end, but he has no end. This infinite God, this mystery, was that he would reduce himself down to the size of a seed, the seed of a woman, and then come out into the world without sin, yet dwelling amongst his creation. And yet all of creation can't contain the majesty and the magnificence and the magnitude, by the way, of how big God is. That's why when Solomon in 2 Chronicles verse, or chapter 6, I believe, or somewhere thereabouts, where he's, he's giving his uh, dedication prayer to the, the, the temple he made, he said, what is the house that I could build you? The heavens of heavens cannot contain you. But yet God decided to put on skin to contain himself in frail flesh as what we have. So great is this mystery that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Could you imagine God who created the angels, who's far above the angels, reduces himself below that of the stature and status of angels. And now the angels are like, huh? Could you imagine angels being taken back that God would come and condescend himself that low out of love? Then he preached in the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. I remember I was in the British Museum at one time uh, in London, and uh, I was going on a Bible tour, and someone pointed out in the original King James, which is the handwritten version uh, that they have in the British Museum, that's uh, 1611, and you wouldn't be able to read it. I have a copy. You could read it, but like the U's or V's and the S's are weird. They're like F's, and it's not the same, what would you call it, the type or the, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So the, the, it's just it's hard to read. It's very difficult. So when someone says, I'll read, a, I'll read the original King James, I'm like, do you really? I have one, please read it for me, you know? And right here's the King James, but it's not a 1611. Um, anyways, when I was at the British Museum, some guy that had a beard, tweed coat, you know, kind of Sherlock Holmesy, was the beard was all white, and he had that thick British accent, and over here we've got the King James version. And he said, let me point out one specific era of it. And he went to uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, and he said, this was mistranslated. And he said, it shouldn't say God was manifest in the flesh. He said, it should say he was manifest in the flesh. And I went, huh? Like Scooby-Doo. And I took a note of that, and I asked him afterwards. I said, um, what, what kind of, like... Uh, you know, theological background you have. And he said he was Jehovah Witness. I said, oh, that explains why you don't believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God came in the flesh. Okay, okay, okay. We're good, we're good. It should say God was manifest in the flesh because God was manifested in the flesh in the person and the life and times of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this 
this Jesus, this, this Lord of Lords, he could have died in his 100% humanity. His body was as fragile as ours. He slept, he ate, he cried, he got tired, he had stress, he had anxiety, he had hunger pains, he sweat, he experienced coldness, heat exhaustion perhaps, and temptations, because we know the Bible says he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. And all the frailties that we go through, Jesus subjected himself to the same. So whatever you're going through, it's not like you could say, oh, Jesus just has, you know, he's like, he's got male uh, olive skin Jewish privilege. <laughs> we can't put Jesus in a privilege category because he subjected himself lower than his created angels, which are higher than mankind. He took the bottom rung because he loved us and he allowed himself to go through all that we go through and even more so because I've been tempted in some points, but not all points. Jesus was tempted in all points. And where I fail, he succeed, or he succeeded. So the devil, though, wanted to see just how human Jesus really was. This is where I think it gets kind of interesting. It's all interesting, but this is very interesting. Now, suicide is not a thought given to man by God. You know, the Bible says in John 10.10, 10, I am come that they might have life and life more abundantly. The devil comes, Satan, the serpent, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He has come uh, bringing, what, death and destruction. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life. He comes that you might have death. And so suicide isn't an original, uh, or that, that thought doesn't originate from God. It's a thought given to people uh, by the one who's not life, who just wants death. But as successful as the serpent dragon is, is getting to people to do so, and incidentally, like, mental health is rising, suicide rates are rising, um, a, lot of, a lot of these things are very concerning um, for me, the devil, uh, and not just him alone, but like the whole dark, unseen world that, that just hates God and the image bearers of God, which would be mankind, he wants, to, he wants to extinguish them and, and terminate them. And if he could get people to take their life, like all the more, all the better. But he couldn't succeed with Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, the temptation of Christ. Oh, man, I just I hate the way this translates. It looks so good on my computer, on my Apple Macintosh, and then it goes to this, like, World War II PC in the back that we have going on, and then this happens. Anyways, um, if you could see it, Matthew chapter 4. Look at um, verse 1. It's the temptation of Jesus. Three temptations. Then when Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. Yeah, 40 days and 40 nights, that's, that's a long time. And when the tempter, um, I mean, that's not intermittent fasting, right? <laughs> and when the tempter came to him, he said, if or since you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Interesting that, he, that the devil doesn't even believe in evolution. He believes in creation. 
interesting. Since you're the son of God, I know you can make something out of nothing, then do it. You're hungry, why not? In your humanity, why don't you act out of your deity? I know you're trying to do this man thing, and you're, you know, like, oh, look at me, I'm so humble, I'm Jesus, you know, I'm really God, but I'm trying to pretend like I'm a man. Well, I know you're hungry. You don't have to be hungry. You're the son of God. You're like, Neil, you're doing the devil too good. (laughs) You're the son of God. You create stuff. I was there. Uh, you know, you created me and all, all of my, the third of the fallen angels and the good angels. You create, it even says that in Job. It says the morning stars, the angels, uh, they, they sang together when they were with God, when he created everything. I think it's Job 38. Um, they leapt, they sang, they rejoiced. And so the devil knows that, that God has creative, he could create something out of nothing. So what he's telling him is like, Hey, you could turn this stone into bread if you're really hungry. Why don't you act like the God that you really are? Verse 4, but he answered and said, It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, success. He counteract, counterbalanced this temptation with the word of God. Then the devil takes him up to the holy city, sets him on a pinnacle of the temple, the religious edifice at the time. It's at the apex of that culture. It's right. It's the central hub. And he says unto him, if you be the son of God, or maybe you are, uh, why don't you throw yourself down from here? For it's written, he shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. So here's the, here's the suicide thing. But what he's really trying to see is can Jesus die? He's really testing this idea out because, see, the devil still doesn't know, like, what's this going on here? Why did you... Remember, the angels are kind of perplexed. The devil is an angel. He's a created angel. He's a fallen one. And he's trying to figure out, why, did, why are you taking on a body? Let's, let's push the limits of this body. I know you could create bread, and you're hungry. Why don't you do it? Hmm. I know that if you're God, then you can't die because you're eternal. Let's test this out. How, how human are you? And so he's trying, to, he's trying to test this. And the real thing is, is that Jesus could have died. I know this is shocking to some people, but he did die. But he wasn't going to die by suicide, jumping off a building. He was going to die by crucifixion. But see, the devil didn't know this. And so he's really trying to find out how human is Jesus? Because he, kinda, he has an idea of the deity part, and that's why he's tempting Jesus in his humanity to act out of his divinity. And our temptation is we're in Christ, but our temptation is to act out of our humanity. And see, Jesus lived his life in total dependence as a man, deferred to the power, the strength, of the Holy Spirit and God the Father. He said, all that I do, the miracles, the words, the actions, where I go, it's not I, but the Father that does it through me. So Jesus, as a man, was living totally dependent on the power of the Spirit and the directive of God. So what the devil was really trying to get Jesus to do was to act outside of that dependency and act independent, saying, no God, no Spirit, I'm Jesus. I could do all this stuff. Watch me go. Jesus could have said, yeah, I could jump off 
and like stop an inch before he hits the ground. Jesus could have said, I'll make the whole ground bread. Let's walk on bread, you know? He could have done any of that stuff in his divinity. But see, he's coming as a man and he has to live as a man. Where Adam failed, Jesus has to succeed. So he has to succeed as a man and he could have died as a man and the devil's testing this, but the devil's not as smart as Jesus. So he's trying to figure this out and let's go on. And he said, um, Verse 7, and Jesus said, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he just answered him again with the, with the scripture. Again, the devil takes him up, an exceeding high mountain, and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory uh, of them. And he said unto him, all these things will I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus answered and said, get, get behind me, get hence, Satan, for it's written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil left him. Now, Jesus is worthy of all the worship. And what's going on here, too, is the devil, he's been, he's been ruling by proxy. And so he was obviously in control of Rome uh, at the time that was in control of Israel. And uh, at the time, Rome thought Jupiter was God, but all the devil does is he repackages. It doesn't matter if it's ISIS or... Uh, whoever, whatever God of whatever culture, he just relabels it, he repackages it. And at that time, because they worshipped uh, Jupiter as, as their God, it was really Lucifer. And so he doesn't rule directly, but he rules through proxy. And you want to you know why a lot of leaders are very evil? It's because they're being controlled satanically. Because he really is the God of this world. And he has a network of demons and a network of dark influencers so to speak, that are running behind the scenes, that, you know, whispering and, and directing. And why do you think there's so much death and chaos and confusion? That's not from God. It's by these, the, the principalities and powers and rulers and dark places. There's things in the unseen realm that are influencing the things in the seen realm. And so the devil knows that he had a lot of these political leaders in his pocket. And he's saying, hey, Jesus... Um, do, you want, do you want people to worship you? Do you want them to really listen to you like they listen to me? Just worship me. And think about it. If he could get the Son of God to, to bow the knee to worship him, do you know what like an ego trip the devil already had? Do you know how high of an ego trip he would have been on? And I think really that the, <laughs> seeing an angel is as tempting for you to worship them as an angel being seen as it is for them to be worshipped. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. And so behind the scenes worship is, is something going on. And really what, what Matthew 4 is really, it's kind of the garden temptation 2.0. Where Adam failed and, and Eve failed, Jesus would succeed. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. It was all going on in this temptation. And Jesus, check, check, check. And he passed them all where Adam and Eve failed. Herod tried to satanically murder all the innocent little children and uh, wipe out the newborn king. Then the devil thought if he could just kill him, said, if you, be your son, if you really be the son of God, throw yourself down. And the devil thought he could kill him. If he could, then he should kill him. But he didn't really know at this point that Jesus came to die 
and to rise again from the dead. And I think what's interesting is uh, later on, once he kind of figures out like, oh, he can die, he went into Judas. When he figured out he can die, let's get him. Hold that thought. When the devil found out that Jesus really could die in his humanity, he was blinded. He was blinded, and he went for it. And he went for it. So Jesus had to come in a body to live as a man, to die as a man, and to die for all mankind. 1 Corinthians 15 on the screen says, As it is written, the last man, Adam, was made a living soul. And the last Adam, or the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And the last Adam, which is Jesus, metaphorically speaking, was made a quickening or a life-giving spirit. Howbeit that was not first which was spiritual, but that which was natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. So Adam, the first one, represents the natural, and Jesus represents the supernatural, although he was 100% man, just as Adam was 100% man. And the word Adam just means man, translated from the Hebrew. And um, so then the first man is of the earth, earthy, uh, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. Look at Hebrews 2.9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. <clears throat> so if the serpent and the dark forces of evil had known the purpose for which Jesus Christ had come as a man, they would have never, ever killed them or killed him. Go to the next slide. Have you guys ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia? I, uh, I've just been on this Narnia kick lately, and um, I've been watching that and Prince Caspian and stuff like that. Well, um, I was just re-watching it the other day, and Jen was watching it with me as well. Um, but Aslan, of course, is the lion, represents kind of Jesus and the redemptive story, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and then there's this, the white witch kind of represents evil and kind of interesting that it comes as, as white and benevolent at first, but evil at the end. But Edmund there on the left, he represents kind of fallen mankind. He represents kind of Adam's race. And it's interesting that they're called son of Adam in the, in the show. And there's another layer to this that's going on that I didn't really catch the first time I saw it, that when they come into Narnia, this, this kind of unseen realm, Kind of why I put that first slide up, as in heaven, so as in earth. So they go from their seen world to the unseen world, but they kind of look similar, different kind of rules and whatnot, but kind of the same. Um, but when they go into this unseen world, that world is surprised that the sons of Adam would come in. What are you doing here, sons of Adam? Uh, Edmund and his brothers and sisters, when they kind of stumble into Narnia. And so what he does is he sins and he falls to temptation, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He, he falls for it, Edmund. And then the queen, the, the evil witch, representative of the devil, makes a claim because they call it the ancient magic, which is basically a metaphor for the law. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. Kind of a riff on, on the Bible, the gospel. So long story short... <clears throat> is the queen comes and says, 
they, they take Edmund. He was held prisoner. They, they, they uh, get him to escape. But then the queen comes and says, wait a second. According to the laws, our ancient laws, he's mine. I get all of the dead people, or I get all of the people that have transgressed. And it's a blood oath. His blood needs to be spilled. His is my blood. And she was trying to get him to do that in the beginning. And so Aslan, the lion, he's like, okay, I get it. You're right. This is true. But instead of him dying, I'm going to take his place. It's really touching when you, when you think about it. And it's such a moving scene in that picture where Aslan, this great, magnificent, just powerful, the king of the jungle, right? He willingly humbles himself and submits to this, this dark, evil forces, and they're celebrating because he humbly walks up, and then they bind him, and they cut his beard, and they make fun of him. And she makes a big speech of how she's, she's finally conquered the great Aslan, and though he was supposed to be the king, look at how pathetic he is, and he's not ruling anything. He didn't come back to take back the kingdom of Narnia. In fact, we got victory. And it's so interesting that had she had known what was going on, she wouldn't have done it. So they, they kill him, and then not only does he pay for the life of the, of the person that sinned, right, because he died in their place, it was a substitute, he should, Edmund should have died, but he didn't, Aslan dies. Kurt, you, you probably know the story. But he's riffing off the gospel, and it just illustrates it so good, because then, like, three days later, Aslan rises from the dead, and now he's more powerful than ever. Because now he has the right to claim those that have fallen. Because he paid for it with his own blood. But yet he rose again in his body. And then he comes and he just ah, chomps the white witch. And you're like, yeah! <laughs> it is so powerful. But what was... I think it was interesting to me is that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis... Uh, Tolkien, of course, is the Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis is the Chronicles of Narnia. But they were both believers, both British, uh, and they both believe that the world is built on narratives and stories. And, but they also believe that the greatest story ever told was that of God's story in the Bible. They both believe that. And if you think about it, every love story, every redemptive story, every epic battle scene or whatever you could think of, it's already been captured in the Bible. The Bible is the greatest story ever told. We just need to get into it and read it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. It'll be on the screen. Howbeit we speak wisdom among those that are mature and perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor of the princes of the world that come to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they had known it, they would have never have crucified the Lord of glory. So this mystery that was hidden before that God would come in a body and that he would pull off the impossible. The devils didn't know it. They thought they had, the, they thought they had God fooled and the Son of God was an idiot like, you're going you're gonna to turn yourself over to the Romans and to the Sanhedrin? 
idiot, idiot alert, look, and put a dunce hat on him. It was basically that kind of idea. And they were celebrating, and they thought, we finally got him. His body can die. We didn't know he was human. He didn't cast himself off because they thought the angels would catch him, and he kind of did some, like, Jedi thing or whatever. We don't know. We tried to get him a few different times, and he evaded us. But look at this. We're beating him, and he's got blood, and we're, we're hitting him, and he's getting tired. He can't even carry the cross. He's so weak and pathetic. Someone else has to carry it for him. But had they have known, they wouldn't have done it. So it was this mystery that was hid from the princes of this world and the principalities of this world and the little G God of this world. So the devil thought he had Jesus when he filled Judas's heart to betray the Son of God with a kiss, the Son of Man with a kiss. But the devil was playing like, he was playing checkers or connect four when God was playing infinite chess. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. The verses won't be on the screen. Um, you just have to turn into your Bible. We're just going to read some verses here to a verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter, or I mean Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner, the servant of Jesus Christ, to you Gentiles... You've heard of the dispensation, that just means this time, this, uh, a specific time, of the grace of God which was given to me to, to you, word, to you, how that by revelation Jesus made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote with a few words, whereby, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in the other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am the, the less or the least then the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make known or to make all men see what is this fellowship of this mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church <clears throat> excuse me, the manifold wisdom of God. So it's this mystery that wasn't known that is now known and made known to the church, the body, according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. So God has this, this unique divine exclusive ability to not only to be sovereign, but also to give people free will and agency. So in other words, God's foreknowledge is not an action. He doesn't make everything happen, so then it happens, because then he's responsible for rape and murder and abortion and this and that, all that kind of... Because he knows something, it doesn't mean that he causes it. He knows it because that's an attribute of his. He could outmaneuver anyone because he has all knowledge. So his foreknowledge is an attribute. It is not an action. 
And so this mystery was allowed to play out, and mankind could have done whatever they wanted to do, because God is in the beginning, without a beginning, at the end, with no end. <clears throat> he's in every place and time, and every time and place, and he's allowing his story to unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold. And what's really taking place in this mystery, and had the devil known it, he would have no way have killed Jesus, because what's really going on is because this whole story is about his story, it's Jesus' story, what he's doing is he's not only buying a bride, but all the territory that was lost. Let's just think, think with me if you would. So the nation of Israel, he gave a promise to Abraham, through you all the nations will be blessed. Well, how is that going to come? Through the seed. Okay, that Jesus had to come. This is the battle of the seeds, the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. But Israel dropped the ball so many times, and God had given sacred space to Israel. All the other nations given over to false gods, but this one little tiny nation with the, with the little tabernacle and then a temple, and my Shekinah glory will, will be there, and then people will know that there is only one true and living God, even though there's many little gods, little Gs. And not like little Gs, like they're cool. But what really takes place at the cross and at the resurrection is now when Jesus puts his spirit in the life of a born-again believer, what really takes place is now the gospel, God is taking back sovereign territory. He's making sacred space because though you come to a building called the church and you're like, hey, this place is holy. We often call it the sanctuary. That's like theologically incorrect, but I know what you mean. You're the sanctuary. You're the holy place because you have the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, God goes. And wherever you go is sacred space, not because of what you do and don't do. That's religion, but because of who you have. And based on who you have, what well, should affect what you do and don't do. Don't get me wrong. But wherever you go. So God went from a little poster stamp piece of geography called Israel that never really like, uh, you know, glorified the Lord. Uh, you could read about them all over the Old Testament. There's cyclical like, patterns of you know, all that they've done uh, in rebellion or neglect to God. But now God, through the gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and now he, he said, I'm going to put my life within you. You could see this in Pentecost. All nations came together. Thousands were filled with the Spirit. They go back, and then they share the gospel. They share the gospel. They share the gospel. And guess what? I know, that, I know Christianity is not the biggest world religion. It doesn't matter. God, through the gospel of the death of Jesus, through the body of Jesus, has, has taken back so much territory that it's unbelievable in the, in the unseen realm, what, what's really transpiring. And I think that's the mystery. And that mystery that was hid, if the devil had known it, he, there was no way he would have crucified Jesus. No way. Does that make sense? So I'm going to make cruise on. Genesis 3.15, he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It's interesting that, that in Genesis 3.15, he says, you know, after Adam and Eve fell, that there's going to be problems with the with women and Satan. And I, I dare say this, this is a side note, but the, all the oppression of women throughout history, 
through the hands of men, through religion, has been awful. It's been despicable. It's been sad. You know, when you go to Muslim countries, you could, you could have five wives and you could beat them if they displease you, but not to the point of death. Oh, that's cool. Just not to the point of death, but you could still have five of them and beat them. And on and on and on you could go. There's just so much history of, and I think the devil gets more mileage out of religion and false religion than he does out of making people Satanists or, or atheists. So he just, you see it in world religions, oppression and oppression and oppression. But down through the ages, God was working his eternal purpose that through the seed of the woman, the, head, the death blow to the serpent would, would come when God would give his only begotten son. So you know this verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The probably just... The gospel in an encapsulated verse, right? But it says so much because God is taking back territory that was lost and showing that, that he loves the world and that wherever there's believers, there's going to be the presence of God. Rather than just confined to the little nation of Israel, now it's a worldwide mystery revealed. God is taking back the world, and he will um, at the second coming of Christ, but in the meantime, we're gaining ground. Now, Jesus died in a body and rose again in a body. In other words, Jesus, he ate, he drank, he appeared, he was touched. First John, uh, the, the apostle John puts it this way in 1 John 1, in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with their eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. For the life was revealed and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that everlasting life who was with the Father and revealed unto us. So Jesus taking on a body was a sacrifice. Jesus dying for our sins painfully in a human body was a sacrifice, not only physically, but think about it spiritually and emotionally. That was quite embarrassing at the time. But Jesus rising from the dead and remaining in a body is next-level sacrifice. This is something I hadn't thought about until recently. Jesus remains in the same glorified body of when he rose from the dead. Doesn't have to. But why? Why does he do this? You could just go back to being God without a bod. Why do you do this? To me, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the sacrifice on the cross at all, because I wouldn't be saved in here if it wasn't for that. But that Jesus would remain in a glorified body also as a sacrifice, a great sacrifice. Look at these quotes. What is more amazing that Jesus came down to earth to dwell with us is that the Lord Jesus decided to eternally remain as us. Look at this next quote. The first mile Jesus was to become one of us. The second mile Jesus was to remain as us. Off into eternity, Jesus says, I will remain identified with my created beings that I've redeemed and became one of. I will remain. This is something 
This is something you could see maybe Greek cultures writing stories about. And, you know, this is, this is next level sacrifice to me that Jesus would remain in a body. Let's just kind of get, get some background, and then I'm almost done here. As Jesus is, so will we be. It's kind of a hint to why he's doing this. He's doing this for us. And he's doing this because he loves us. And he's doing this because he wants to relate with us. But he also wants relationship with us throughout all of eternity. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory, that he by grace, the grace of God, should taste death for all. Hebrews 2.16, for truly he did not take on the nature of angels, but he he took hold of the seed of Abraham or the nature of mankind. He took on this nature, and he remained in that nature. So when Jesus then, he died as a man, he rose in his glorified body, which is the one that we will get. And look at this. He he descended lower than angels, and then he was elevated above the angels. 1 Peter 3.22, Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, the angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him in this body. Interesting. Ephesians 1.20, which he wrought, which God wrought, worked out in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, and not only in this world, but in the one which has come. So think about it. Jesus came lower than the angels, and the angels are scratching their head like, he's the one that created us. What's he doing going to... And angels look at mankind like we're something inferior. I mean, if there's racism going on, it's from the angels. <laughs> he thinks angels think you're all inferior. No, I don't know, not all of them, not the good ones. But so the angels are like, why would he do that? Go as a man. That's weird. Sorry, angels, if I'm misrepresenting you, but I don't need to apologize to you. Like, Neil, do you always talk to yourself about angels? <laughs> no. Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God has given, highly exalted Jesus, and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and things of heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. Think about this. The powers, the principalities, the powers above the earth, below the earth. What in the world realms are we talking about here? Doesn't matter if you know him, you believe him, you don't believe him, you see him, you can't see him. In this glorified body that Jesus chose to remain in, because we know in Revelation, we see the, the scars, the nail prints, we see it. He keeps it. And everyone bows. All the created world bows to this glorified man who wasn't a man, but he, he decided to come and take on the likeness of sinful man, yet without sin, conquered sin, death, and hell. And then he rises victorious, and then in this glorified state, everything needs to bow to him. But here's the, here's the catch. There, I'm not a catch, but check this out. We too will be eternally united and elevated above all creation, judging angels, ruling with Christ, seated at his right hand, as his bride, never to be divorced, never to be left, never to be abandoned, never to be abused, mistreated, misunderstood, but to be eternally, unconditionally loved and united with the glorified Lord Jesus who chose to remain as a man and united us with him forever. Okay, 
This is what really trips me out. Look at this next passage. 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner the love of Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Yeah, that's amazing. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Don't be surprised. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he shall be revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know that passage in 1 Corinthians 15? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, this corruptible must put on incorruption, right? And this mortal immortality. We will take on the nature and the likeness of Jesus, who is elevated above all angels, all principalities, all powers, and then what he does, because he remains in that glorified, elevated state, he promotes us, here's the angels, here's Jesus, here we are at the bottom, and we get this full-ride scholarship <laughs> up to the top, and now we're united with Jesus at his right hand, and I'm not, I'm not going to be boastful or puffing my chest out, but I'm like, hey, what's up, angels? What's up, demons? Sorry. Hey, I like what you've done with your hair over there. I mean, we're just going to be walking around. I don't know. That's just my weird version. But we're elevated. We're glorified with Jesus who remains in a glorified body. And because God has promoted him at the right hand in that permanent glorified body state, when we see him as he comes to get us, we'll be like him. We'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And now we're with him. And we're forever in that condition as the promoted, elevated position that we are, which this trips me out even more. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Next slide. Do you not know? And I love when he says this. He says this in the same chapter down in verse, uh, towards the end, 18 or 19. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? You guys don't know that yet? Because you're acting like you don't know it by the way you're acting. But he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? So he's, Because they're taking each other to court. And he's like, you guys don't know? You're going to judge the world. Why are you deferring to the world system of judgment, which is pretty skewed, right? Department of Justice, case in point, right? So he says... And if the world shall, I'm going to be judging the Supreme Court. You are. He says this. And if the world shall be judged for you, are you not unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know you will judge angels? Not to mention the things of this life. That has all been given to you as a Christian because Jesus remained in a body and you're going to be glorified and united with him ruling and reigning at the right hand of Jesus in a humble way, of course. But this is pretty awesome. I don't know what that does for you, but for me, it, it just it, it changes perspective. Like, coming to church is not like just a religious thing that we got to do. It's a privilege. This whole thing is a privilege. We're not just going through the motions here. We're not just like re reciting just old stories and cute little Sunday school flannel graph things. And this whole thing is way bigger than what we think. And we've got way more stewardship responsibility than probably what we know to do with, right? I think it's time like the church too to, to wake up. Let's like, like rise up, wake up. Let's be a little bolder. Let's kind of like, let's get out 
and, and tell people, because the time's running short, you know, let's invite people to church, invite people to Christ, and fulfill our, our time. Because there's going to be a time where we're not going to operate by faith. We'll be operating by sight at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. So God gave dominion to us, his beloved image bearers and ambassadors. We're the kings and priests of the kingdom of God. We are the rightful heirs to the throne of God. And it's interesting, in the, in chrono, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the white witch, oh, son, everyone was calling the like Edmund and the, and the brother and the sister, they were calling them king and queen. They were calling them king and lords. And they were like, what? It's interesting in Narnia how C.S. Lewis knew this, what I'm talking about. He already knew this. It's not, I'm not preaching anything new. He already knew this idea that we're the rightful heirs. And when they were in, they were in, that, uh, in Narnia, in, the, in that kingdom, they didn't think they were kings and queens. They didn't think so at all. Because they're like, what? We're, we don't even know what's going on. What, what the heck? And I think that's how we function a lot of times, too. We don't even know we're kings and, kings and queens. We don't know that. But you are. See, the, 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 the angels know what you are. They, they know that God's deferred all of this power and dominion and authority to you and I because we're related to Christ. We just don't know it. Like how the children of Narnia didn't know that they were they're already kings. Of course, Aslan is the king of kings, but they're ruling with him, and they, they just didn't know it. So let me close with this. Revelation. It's going to come on two slides. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Love it. It's not the revelation of Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants, us, the things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified by his angel and to his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that reads and, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written herein or therein. For the time uh, is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which uh, was, and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto our God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Made us kings and priests to rule and reign. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Jesus, I thank you for this story, this, this narrative, this mystery that was concealed that's now revealed. And it's, all, it's known to the unseen world. It's hardly known to us. It's still like a mystery to, to a lot of us. And I pray that, that you'd open the eyes of our heart, that we would see who we really are and where we're really going and our genuine purpose, not only on earth, 
but throughout all of eternity and help us to upgrade our thinking as to why we're even doing what we're doing. So Lord, I thank you that you give us value. I thank you that you gave us worth. Uh, I thank you that you love us eternally, that we're in you. If there is someone here that's never received the free gift of eternal life, I just pray as you say in Romans 10, 13, that if they would confess with their mouth, or that's Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Or whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that someone here in their heart would just say, Jesus, forgive me, I've sinned, come into my heart. Give me the free gift of eternal life, and they will be saved. For those of us that are saved, Lord, I pray that you'd activate us. Activate, the, activate your, your, your kings and your priests and your, your, your princes and princesses and queens and activate your people so that we could be good stewards of the remaining time that we have until you come back. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.